you have your Bibles, hey, that's for the uh, six more weeks comment about my sermon series. So um, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to uh, Romans 15. We're going to continue our study in Paul's letter to the church in Rome. And and we're making uh, a shift in uh, what Paul's been teaching in in this epistle, this letter that he wrote to this church. It's not a huge shift, but it, it does shift our focus from the doctrine that he has been uh, unfolding from the opening chapters, and, and now we're reaching the end uh, part. Oh, right. The children can be dismissed. You'd think I'd remember to do this every Sunday. Uh, children, if you are heading down to Children's Church, you can uh, be dismissed. Uh, so as we, as we begin to think about what Paul's going to present to us this morning, um, I, I just want to bring up this idea to you about... Um, what comes to mind when you hear the term ministry? So when you hear the term ministry, what thoughts come to your mind? You need to say them out loud. Okay, reaching out to someone else, Nancy. Spiritual gifts, what else? Service, anything else? Missions, anything else? Taking care of needs, anything else? Giving. Okay, you guys are giving some good, um, good responses to that. You know, because when I was thinking about the term ministry, sometimes what happens is we, we kind of get, I don't want to say confused, but sometimes we equate ministry to a profession. That's what the pastor does or the preacher. That's what, that's what the, the people do that stand up front, but it's not so much what we do not just in the pews, but beyond what we do here at church. And so what we begin to understand, though, is that God is calling all of us to ministry, and Nancy mentioned spiritual gifts, that we all have been given spiritual gifts by the Holy Spirit at the moment of our salvation. You may not know what your gifts are, but God gives you gifts. And so it is contingent upon you exploring your gifts so that you can use them for the glory of God. And we as a church would love for you to, to understand and know what your spiritual gifts are because your gifts help us as the body of Christ. It strengthens who we are in the faith. And as you exercise your spiritual gifts in the church and outside of the church, as you are serving the community that you live in, you are ministering to the Lord himself. This word or term ministry basically means service. We're serving God for all that He has done for us in Christ Jesus. Now, the New Testament clearly calls every Christian to a ministry. If you are a believer, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ for the payment of your sins to be forgiven, God expects you to have a ministry. It's not a Well, if I can find the time or when all of these other things that are in my schedule diminish, God expects every person who loves Jesus to be involved and engaged in a ministry that serves Him. It is a way that we can give back to God. And what I have found in life is that there are many people that have great potential for ministry, but they just don't see it. They don't see how 
um, living in the neighborhood that they live in could be a great ministry opportunity. They don't see how sitting next to that person at work every day, week after week, can be a ministry opportunity. They don't see that the school that they go to with the friends that they have can be a ministry opportunity. What we see is all around us every day, God gives us these great opportunities to serve Him. And yet there's sometimes that disconnect because we associate ministry with what we do only in the church. It's more than that. It calls us beyond that. And God's inviting us to see how we can partner with Him in the... um, announcement, in the declaration, in the sharing of the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, why do I bring all of this up right here at this point in Romans? Because it's at this point that we make a transition in the book. Now, we, we, it, it, I'm just going to briefly summarize. In the, in the first chapter, you have Paul's greeting, right? Every letter has a greeting. He introduces himself. He, um, he shares why he's writing this letter. Uh, what is the, the, the focus? The, and, and we talked about that as the gospel is the power of God to save every person, Jew and Gentile. Then we moved into this really deep, and I mean deep, theology as God has called us by His holiness? Really, Paul answers the basic question, how is every person made righteous in God's sight? And and he reveals for, really from the end of chapter 1 all the way through the end of chapter 8, how every person is able to stand made right, righteous in God's eyes. And it's through faith in Jesus Christ. And then he shifted our attention to, as God is doing this, as he is working and and revealing the righteousness that comes from heaven through his son, how is God working through the two groups of people that he created? The Jewish people, who from the Old Testament perspective were his chosen people, the people he walked with throughout all the Old Testament, and everyone else who are the Gentiles, and, and that's mostly us. How do we factor in and fit into this grand plan of God's righteousness revealed to the world through His Son, Jesus? And as we moved from there, in, from chapter 12 on, we were into the, how do we walk then? What, is it, what does it mean to have righteousness lived out? How do we serve God? How do we put it into action? And as we lay our lives down on the altar as a reasonable act of worship, that's what Paul says in Romans 12, 1 and 2. As we lay down on the altar, how do we relate to each other? And for quite a while in Romans 14 and the first half of 15, we talked about how we relate to each other when we don't always agree on everything. How does the body care for each other when we have different convictions? How do we not hurt each other? And now as Paul makes this final transition, he's summing up his ministry. He's led this church in Rome through some very important critical truths. And as he wraps things up, he invites this church to see what drives him in ministry. 
Now, here's what we need to know and be reminded of. When Paul wrote this letter to the Roman church, he had never been there to actually meet them. He had only heard about them. He had heard about their story. He had heard about their faithfulness. He had heard about God's work in their life. He had heard about the unique challenges that they were facing. And many of those unique challenges he addressed in this letter, like they were struggling with convictions, right? About eating food and drinking drink. And, you know, what does that mean? So he addresses those things. But he was fond to meet these people. He was longing to be with these people. He had heard of their faith. And now he shares a personal perspective of his heart in ministry. I love this section of Scripture as a pastor because I, I, I get a window into this great apostle's heart, what drove him, and it encourages me in my walk, and it challenges me to be able to see the world the way that Paul sees it. But I, I pray it can also be an encouragement and a challenge to you that you can begin to see the world as Paul sees it. Because we begin to see that this man who was dramatically transformed by God's grace, right? When you read the book of Acts and you read about Paul's conversion, this man had a life-changing experience with the grace of God. And from that moment on, his heartbeat was for the gospel. Everything that he focused on was a result of receiving the grace of Jesus Christ. Haven't we all been changed if you know Jesus the same way? I mean, if you know Jesus Christ this morning, you may not have had a Damascus Road experience, right, where you heard voices from heaven, Paul, Paul, or Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Maybe you didn't have that kind of an experience. But when you met Jesus and realized that you were a sinner standing condemned. And by His grace, through believing in Him, you are forgiven and restored and healed. When you have the experience of grace, your life should change. And the way you view the world you live in should change. And here's what I know living as a person that has received grace, living in a fallen world, it is far too easy at times to settle for the things that you see around you and get distracted and be consumed by the, and I, and I use this phrase carefully, the drama of sin. You get caught up in the waves of problems and dysfunction and we miss out on the ministry that God calls us to, invites us to. And so I hope in a very personal letter where Paul's writing from his heart, you can see what drove him. And that your faith can be encouraged to meet the people that God calls you to. And so what do we see? Just looking at, uh, I'm in Romans 15. Uh, we're going to look at a few things that Paul highlights from his own life. In verse 14, we see the encouragement that Paul gives. Look at verse 14. And concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and are able to admonish one another. 
Now remember, Paul never met these people. He's only hearing the reports of their faith. He's hearing the the progress that he had made. He didn't plant this church. He didn't preach the gospel in Rome. Oh, later on in a few verses, we're going to come in contact. Paul wants to go to Rome, but he wants to go to Rome a a different way. He wants to visit the Roman church on his way further west. He wants to go to Spain. And so he wants to visit these people. He's never met them, but he hears back from their faith and he commends them. He offers encouragement to them. Now, here's the thing. Sometimes we read Paul's words and we think, Paul, you're you're kind of a stern person. Like he's getting to the point. Matter of fact, he he doesn't hold back. He, He does it with some of the other disciples, some of the other missionaries that he works with. You know, Paul seems to be this kind of guy that just when there's a problem, he addresses it. When he is convinced of something, he goes in that direction. And sometimes we associate that with him being this stoic, cold personality that is all about the gospel business. That's not Paul's heart. He offers encouragement to these people. He commends them. Now, he just left a section of Scripture where he's warning them, hey, don't divide over these issues that really aren't that big a deal. Stay focused on the gospel. So you can warn people. You can exhort people. You can do all of these things and still have a love for them. Right? We're not throwing the baby out with the bathwater and saying, hey, there's some things that you need to be careful of, and and that only means that you have to be hard-hearted. He encourages them and commends them in three ways in this verse. And concerning you, my brother and I myself, also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness. That's the first thing, that the church in Rome was full of goodness. What does that mean? Their hearts were right before God. In other words, they had a high moral character. Sometimes uh, these issues can be difficult to speak to, but Paul wasn't afraid. He, he would speak to the issues of life. He would encourage and exhort people. When you read the letter that he wrote to the church in Corinth, the first letter that he wrote in 1 Corinthians, I mean, oh my word, there's not a lot of commendation, way to go, hang in there kind of language. It's, will you please stop doing this? Will you stop making a mess of the gospel? Will you stop worrying about who baptized you? Will you stop worrying about the fights and divisions? Will you grow up? Will you stop misusing and abusing the Lord's table? Will you stop worrying about which gifts are more important? Like Paul keeps challenging this church in Corinth, but when he writes to the church in Rome, he writes a letter of commendation to them and says, I know that you're hearts are full of goodness. So he wasn't afraid to share what needed to be shared. Now, this church wasn't perfect, but they were sound. There was integrity in the body, and they cared for each other. And so he encourages them. He also encourages them that they were filled with all knowledge. When you read in in verse 14, you are filled with all knowledge. The idea is they were students of the Scriptures. Like they knew the Word of God. They were kind of like the Bereans that we come in contact with in the book of Acts that studied the Scriptures. 
They spent time in God's Word. They were filled with the knowledge of the truth of the Gospel and what it meant that righteousness did come and what it means to follow God in a right relationship. They studied and meditated and dived deep into the Word and Paul commended them for that. They had a strong foundation. Their dependence on the Word of God and their ability to live the lives that were pleasing to the Lord go hand in hand. Do you see that? A heart full of goodness, high moral character is connected with being filled with knowledge. Being filled with knowledge leads to a heart that can be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he encourages them. And thirdly, he also says they are able to admonish one another. I love that word, admonish. It comes from the Greek word nutheo. There's a whole um, category in counseling called nutheo counseling. It's this idea of not, you know, hey, lay down on the couch and let me hear your story kind of counseling. It's the kind of counseling that says, can I walk with you as we walk towards Christ and look at the scriptures to help you walk in your relationship with Jesus? Church, that's the best counseling that we need. It really is. The counseling of one brother going to another brother and saying, can I walk with you in the light of God's word? And take the step together with that person to encourage them, to admonish them. Admonish isn't a finger-pointed-at-you word. It's not a you're-in-trouble-good-luck-figuring-it-out kind of word. Like, we hear the word admonish, and maybe there's like a negative light to it. This is really a positive word. This is loaded with faithfulness with steadfastness. And this church was able to admonish and warn each other, to advise. Listen, the the worst harm you could do for a fellow Christian is when you see them struggling in life, when you see them in sin, is just to stand back and say, well, I hope they figure it out. And sometimes we do that not because we wish harm on someone, but sometimes we're thinking, what am I going to say? How can I help? I'm just a mess in my own life too. I mean, what can I do? To admonish someone means that you begin with love for that person in Christ. You accept them as we talked about last week. We accept them as Christ has accepted us. And we move towards them with the truth of God's word. We're filled with all knowledge. And we reveal the truth of God's word to them and say, listen, because of Christ, you have been set free. And so let's walk together and be set free. To admonish someone means you don't give up on them. You don't move on. Now, there comes a point when you offer counsel and it's rejected. And sometimes you have to shake the dust off your feet. But sometimes I think 
We struggle more with the initiation of it, going to that person. So this church that Paul never met was full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and able to admonish each other. Paul encourages them. And you know what that tells me? The ministry that God can call us to means that we, it should be, part of it should be a ministry of encouragement. Like where God leads us and the places that maybe the, the programs of this church can't get into, right? But where God sends you as a minister, one of the characteristics that you can develop in your life is, God, as I want to glorify you where I am, let me find ways to encourage the people around me. And sometimes that means you're going to encourage people with the truth of the gospel that if it was up to you, you might not want to encourage because they're, not, they're certainly not encouraging towards you. And so find ways, look for ways. I mean, in this one simple verse, Paul portrays a right-spirited, informed, and self-correcting Christianity. A right-spirited They come from, as he says, uh, a good moral character. An informed Christianity. They were filled with knowledge and self-correcting. They admonished each other. They took care of each other. And so I, I was thinking about this. Paul writes this about this church. What would he say about our church? What would his commendation be? I have some thoughts or hopes that we are people that are grounded in the Word of God, that we are people that care for each other and share in the commitment of the relationships that we have, that we have seen community uh, in action, that we are, are motivated towards uh, the right things concerning the gospel. But it w- it's just an interesting thought. It's one that I think about because maybe it's in the things that I know that we need work in that I would say, okay, how do we correct those things? Like our commitment to the community. Like we could do a lot better as a church reaching our community going where people are that have no hope in the gospel. But what would he commend us for? He did it for Rome. He did it in the church of Thessalonica. And it's the only other church that he commended so highly. And so he was a a minister of encouragement. And now what Paul does is he explains his ministry. This is his purpose. In verse 15, we read, But I have written very boldly to you on some points, so as to remind you again because of the grace that was given me from God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest the gospel of God, so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. That's his ministry. Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. He was the apostle that was called to go to people like us. 
Because the Jewish people weren't inherently going to seek people like us. Because their thoughts were, to be in God's community, you had to be a part of this group that he had called from the Old Testament. And Paul said, and Paul was a Jewish man, he was a Pharisee, he was in the training, he knew the scriptures. I mean, he belonged to that group, and when God met him by his grace on the road to Damascus, he said, God is calling me to reach another people group. Someone else. The people that were once far off. God wants me to bring them close. And so he writes to this church in Rome, which was the capital of the Gentile world, right? Like everything that wasn't Jewish was exhibited and magnified in this city in Rome, the capital of the known world. And he says to these people, I've written very boldly to you on some points as to remind you again. He didn't hold back, right? He's encouraging them. But he's writing boldly to them that they would understand again and again that it is always about God's story of grace. That he was a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. You know what that tells me as he explains his ministry? He had a purpose for his ministry. He understood what his ministry was. And I think sometimes for us, we understand, yes, God calls us to go with the gospel, but we sometimes struggle with the idea of like, what is my purpose in what I'm doing? Yes, it's about the gospel, but in my context, does it mean this specifically? And we struggle figuring out the purpose and we get stuck in the ambiguity of it all. Like we're in this haze of saying, well, I think it's what I do at church. And it's not just that, it's going out with the gospel. I've said this before, and I'm convinced of this. You are more effective in reaching the people that are in your neighborhood, your shadow of influence with the gospel of Jesus Christ than I am. Because you have a relationship with those people, and they know you, and you know them. And sometimes it's just reigniting our focus again, saying, God, you have me where I am for a purpose. And sometimes we struggle with that, right? God, why am I here? I want to be there. Well, God has you where you are so you can reach the people that are around you with the grace of Jesus Christ. Don't give up on that idea. Don't settle for, okay, what's on the other side of the fence? Look around where you are and understand the purpose of where God has called you. And so what does Paul do as he kind of unpacks this purpose that he has? He understands that what he does for the grace of God, he explains it as he's a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest the gospel of God so that in my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. He's a priest. Not, you know, we hear priest and we think Catholic church priest. No, the word priest, if you look at it in the Old Testament, it's a very important word that Paul uses. This word priest carries with the idea of liturgy. It's service. Paul's function is 
was to offer an offering to God that came from the Gentiles of saying, God, by your grace, I present these people to you to lift up the name of Jesus Christ. He understood where he was going. When you read the book of Acts, and, and, and the majority of the book of Acts focuses on Paul and the journeys that he made in his first, second, and third missionary journeys. And when you read Paul's movement for the sake of the gospel, it's interesting. Nothing holds this man back. Nothing. Trials and tribulations get in his way, and he doesn't say, well, okay, I guess I'm done with that. He presses on. He accepts what happens, and he says, you know what? Whether I'm in prison like in Philippi. Remember in Philippi when he was imprisoned? There was an earthquake and the jail cells opened. Paul doesn't leave and run out. He stays and ministers to the prison guard. Like he looks at the, the life and the ministry that God gives them, gives him, and he doesn't base it on what he wants to do. He understands that what God provides the doors that God opens, he'll walk through. He's a priest to God in his service for the sake of the gospel. And his, his ministry was a ministry of proclamation, of sharing the good news. The gospel means good news. The best way to share good news is to proclaim it. You have good news this morning, right? Okay, maybe I should just retire right now. <laughs> Doug, can I retire right now? No, okay, I can't retire right now. Okay, so do you have good news? Go tell someone good news. When you have good news, you want to tell someone, right? When I have good news, I want to tell someone. Like, I, I can't stop telling people good news. Now, you might hear my good news sometimes and think, well, that's good, but okay, good for you. But this is good news. This is life-changing news. This is, oh my word, God loves me this way kind of news. And he doesn't hold it back. This is everybody can come to him and hear this good news. If you have good news this morning, if you believe in good news this morning, share the good news. Proclaim it. In Romans ten seventeen, Paul wrote, faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. If we want people to hear good news and have faith in good news, they need to hear the word of Christ. For our ministry to be effective, we must tell the good news to other people. We must become preachers of the gospel. It doesn't mean, oh gosh, do I have to go to Bible college and get a seminary degree and be on paid staff of a church? No, it means where you are with the truth of God's word, don't be afraid to share the good news of Jesus. Our conversations with people should be seasoned with the hope of the gospel. You know, sometimes we call it water cooler talk, right? 
and, they, and you don't have to have a water cooler talk or to have water cooler talk, but you can have like the, you know, the everyday kind of conversations like, how was your weekend? And uh, did you see the Super Bowl? And, you know, boy, the weather is terrible. And all those kinds of surface level conversations. We should be sprinkling in, like as we season food, we should be sprinkling into all of our conversations, the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, because when we move on from the weather, we then start going into other things like, did you see the news? Did you see what, did you hear what they did in Washington again? Right. Thank you. You know, like, we can always talk about that kind of stuff. What would it be like to have a conversation about what's going on in Washington when it's seasoned with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because here's what happens sometimes. I, I, st- I, I lean into conversations like that and the craziness that's occurring. And yeah, I want to jump off the roof too. Like it's that kind of thing. You look and think, what on earth are we doing? But what would it be like to be a person that has your feet grounded in the gospel to enter a conversation like that and say, you know what, it really does seem like there's a lot of chaos around us, but I know someone that's on the throne and he's not moving. To have our conversations grounded in the gospel with our feet immovable on the good news of Jesus Christ. That was Paul's life and mission. Paul could turn any conversation into a gospel conversation. He could stand before Roman leaders, and he did. At the end of the book of Acts, he stood before a bunch of uh, judges and people that were in charge of things, and he's giving an account of what's going on, and he always moved them back to the gospel of Jesus. Some of you are in sales. What would it be like when a customer comes in and you're talking to them about the, the, the product that you sell it with integrity. And not just so that your boss would say, hey, way to move all that stuff that nobody was buying. What would it be like to have employees, when they looked at you, they said, you know what? That guy that's in charge of me, He has values that I've never seen in any other job that I've had before. I want to know more about what drives them. You know, it's the idea of how the gospel creates integrity in our hearts. What does it mean to be an employee where every other employee is working a different way, but you understand that what you've been entrusted is a ministry to God, and you do it as service to God, and then people begin looking at you and saying, Why are you so different? And your life then becomes the reflection of the gospel. Do you have purpose in what you do because you know you're a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ? In verse 17, Paul says, Therefore in Christ Jesus, I found reason for boasting in the things pertaining to God. So here's what you need to understand. Paul understood his purpose. He understood his audience. He was faithful to that calling. And as Paul was, like, let me ask you this. Just based on what you know, was Paul successful in his calling? It's okay, you can say it out loud. 
Yes, he was. Paul was very successful in his calling. There aren't many people like Paul that we read about in the scriptures. I mean, this man was a part of a movement that turned the world upside down. He was very successful. If he had an annual review, Jesus would say, Paul, check, doing a great job. Paul, you're doing a wonderful job. But here's what Paul does, not only here, but in other places of Scripture. Paul understands as he serves God, the victories that God gives him are not things that he has done by himself. In verse 17, Therefore in Christ Jesus I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. He doesn't boast in his own accomplishments. He doesn't live in the past. He doesn't say, oh man, you know, 20 years ago, I did this. He looks forward to the future and the opportunities. And he says, God, whatever happens, I'm going to praise you for the goodness of the gospel. He boasts in the things pertaining to God. He celebrates the faithfulness of Jesus, not his competence. If God's calling you to a ministry, he's going to gift you for that ministry. And whatever comes, whatever fruit results from that ministry, it's because God was gracious towards you. Turn it back to praise towards him. In Galatians 6.14, He said to the church in Galatia that he would not boast in anything except the cross of Jesus Christ. That's where his boasting is. That's where he can celebrate. And that's where we too can find our celebration in the goodness of Jesus. And I appreciated so much as Pastor Dustin was leading us in worship today, the songs that were focusing us on the cross the redemptive work of Jesus. Because for any of us, that is where our boasting is. Like, in my own life and ministry, I am a different minister today than I was 20 years ago when I entered the ministry. And there have been skills that have been developed and all those kinds of things. I get that. I understand that. But I don't look at it as, you know, in this profession that I am doing something of great work except to grow and draw closer to Jesus. And there is a temptation at times to look at the ministry that you have and the successes that you experience and say, well, I did that. But when you come to the cross and, and see the Savior, He erases all of those temptations and replaces them with his grace. If our ministry is to be effective, we need to boast in the cross of Jesus. In verses 18 and 19, Paul writes, For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience 
of the Gentiles by word and deed, in the power of signs and wonders, and the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and around, around about as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. As Paul served God, as he was moved by God, as he went where God wanted him to go, and oh, by the way, it was a lot of places, from Jerusalem to Illyricum. That's 1,400 miles around the Adriatic Sea. Like, he wasn't just saying, I'm going to go to the next community and, you know, put up a tent there and stay there for a while. Like, he went where God wanted him to go. God messed with Paul's agenda and plans. Like, if Paul had a retirement plan when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, God said, you know what, I'm just going to throw that away and we're going to go somewhere else. And he was faithful to it to go. In fact, he was faithful to the point of death because he died under Roman rule for preaching the gospel. Maybe some of us don't want to die for the cause of Christ and that's what hinders us. I mean, that's... That's, that's the utmost of what you can give for the sake of the gospel, right? Your very life. But that's what Jesus did for us. But as he served God and went where God led him from Jerusalem as far as Illyricum, he fully preached the gospel of Christ and saw the power of God on display. Now you might say, when you read the book of Acts, when Paul talks about the power of signs and wonders, you know, the, 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 oh my word, this really happened kind of things that we read in the book of Acts, like lame people walking, like sick people being healed, signs and wonders, tongues from heaven, all that, and you think, oh, that seems spooky. That, like, that would shake me if I saw things like that. When you might even say, I've never seen anything like that. Look around sometime at your fellow believers. And each person that you see that you know who is in Jesus Christ is a representation of the power of God. They are a walking miracle, a sinner saved by grace. We see power all around us. We see God's power all around us as strongholds fall. Paul served under the power of God. And it wasn't his own power, but it was God's power through the Holy Spirit working in his life. Paul didn't take credit for what was accomplished through him, but he gives all the credit to God. And finally, we read this in verses 20 and 21. And thus I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, they who had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. Paul understood his ministry. He had a plan for ministry. What was Paul's plan? I'm not going anywhere where there's already a church. He was a pioneering missionary. 
he went to new places with the hope of the gospel. Now, not all of us are going to be called to that. In fact, the majority of us will not be called to that, but maybe some of you will be. And it doesn't mean that you join a mission agency and raise support and go somewhere where there's no gospel witness. I mean, that might be a part of it, but it might be, hey, the people you're around, you might be the only Christian, and that's a pioneering work. And maybe God will empower you for that, but, but maybe for some of you, it's going to be, at least you understand your purpose in ministry, to be that support, to be that light, to be that encouragement. But to be an effective minister, you need to have a plan for what God is doing through you. And so he aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named. He didn't want to build on another foundation. But he fulfilled a quotation from Isaiah 52, verse 15. When we read in verse 21, they, they who had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. Now, what's interesting about Isaiah's words, when he originally wrote those words, he's referring to the second coming of Jesus, when Jesus comes to restore his kingdom. But Paul takes that truth and understands that it also applies to what his ministry was to a people, the Gentiles, who had no news of Jesus. And those that didn't hear, they're going to understand. He was faithful in his evangelism because he understood his purpose. And so as we close, my prayer is that you, you see the passion of this man, Paul, but I also pray that you see something else, that the ministry we are called to, a ministry that may not send us around the globe, but it may send us across the street or across the hallway or maybe just to the other side of the room. That that kind of ministry is a ministry that God is inviting us to be a part of as we share the hope of the gospel of Jesus. And that we would put into practice the selfless devotion of what it means to share Jesus to the people that God calls us to. And we would see the world turn upside down. And so let me pray for you as we ask God to develop these things in our hearts.